when we enter herein with all humility and a deeper need of understanding, we allow the Almighty Mothers to enter into this circle by the entrance of an eternal happiness, of a divine prosperity, of a perfect joy, of an abundant charity, and of an eternal salutation. Let all the demons fly from this space, especially those who are opposed unto this work. We allow the fierce openers of the way sent by the Divine Ones to assist and protect this circle, denying entry to discord and strife. Magnify and extend our capacity for revelation, O Mighty Mothers, as we walk in truth and righteousness in your most sacred names, and bless our conversation and our assembly. Sanctify, O Mothers, our humble entry herein. You, the blessed and holy ones of eternal ages. energy is flowing as we open our mind to greater understanding. We let go of the limited mindset that says there's only so far we can go in this society. We let go of the science of being an underachiever. defined by people who made themselves into gods, lowercase g. We are no longer confused. We no longer feel dejected. We need no one's approval to succeed and be who we are. I wanted to clear up a few things about the Watchers. Although I don't want to talk about the Watchers in this session, it will most likely need more time. But I wanted to emphasize that these Watchers are entities that some people think of as angels. Some of them. And most of them are highly manipulative there are some that try to do good, like Seth, but still they have this energy that alerts you to who they are. For Seth, for example, it's when he speaks about death. Remember, we're just extracting the knowledge that is valid for us. These entities have only advanced so far they do not know everything, and they do not have access to all the higher knowledge that we think we're barred from. They've been around for some time, so they do have some information that can help us out of this mess. 
But again, when Seth speaks of death, it is as if that is pretty much the way out of this mess. The same thing religion does. There is a better life in the afterlife. And what we want to focus on is this life right now. Death is the image of the gods they tried to force feed you with. Why would you want to worship a god of death? So-called Egyptologists called one book they found in sacred tombs, the Book of the Dead. And they said Egyptians were obsessed with death. Well, if you study everything from tombs, you're probably going to get death-related imagery. For melanated people, we need to focus on the solar images again. Images of stars. We are the walking dead right now because we refuse to wake up and we have been sucked into this god of death for these watchers there's nothing else for them if they're not wreaking havoc or trying to help mankind they basically have nothing else this is where your intuition comes into play when you must hear the words whether you're reading them or listening to them as a matter of fact in one book by these so-called Palladians they tell you that they use trickery and deceit and they do they give you some valid points mixed in with things that might lead you astray how can you tell the difference you must hone your skills put up your solar images again breathe life into your projects, into your home, into all that you do. Let go of this imagery of death to receive some happy afterlife when your life sucks now. I really would like to go more into the natural body, but I suggest that you read it for yourself. There are some gems in this last portion that will really make you think. For instance, in the first chapter, it says all elements of the interior visible environment work together and they form the temporal weather patterns that are exteriorized mental states, presenting you locally and in mass then with a physical version of man's emotional states period. Natural disasters represent an understandably prejudiced concept in which the vast creative and rejuvenating elements important to planetary life and therefore to mankind are ignored. 
The stability of the planet rests upon such changes and alterations, even as the body's stability is dependent upon, say, the birth and death of the cells. Seth through Jane again goes on about death, and that is when our red flag starts waving. We were given death principles while our heritage was swept away. You were told to focus on the Bible while the system that oppressed melanated people did not follow the Bible. Or did they? In recent editions, that God is pretty violent. Do you serve this God? The God that tells mankind to kill, steal, and rape? You are never victims of natural disasters, though it may seem that you are, for you have your hand in forming them. You are creatively involved in the earth cycles. Natural disasters ultimately end up writing a condition that earlier blighted the desired quality of life so that adjustments were made. And I'm just reading key points so we can get to the next chapter. There are innumerable relationships that exist between the interior environment of the body and the weather patterns. The ancient feelings of identification with storms are quite valid. And in that respect, the realism of feelings is far superior to the realism of logic. When a person feels a part of a storm, those feelings speak a literal truth. Logic deals with exterior conditions, with cause and effect relationships. Intuitions deal with immediate experience of the most intimate nature, with subjective motions and activities that, in your terms, move far quicker than the speed of light, and with simultaneous events that your cause and effect level is far too slow to perceive. In that regard also, the activities of the inner environment are too fast for you to follow intellectually. Your intuitions, however, can give you clues to such behavior. A country is responsible for its own droughts, earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, and for its own harvests and rich display of products its industry and cultural achievements, and each of these elements is related to each other. So are these problems that pretty much every country is facing due to treatment of people, plants, and animals? People crying out for justice and haven't been heard by mankind doesn't care. So weather upheavals, riots, diseases are taking place to right the wrongs to bring back balance. There's also a little bit of a discussion on creative energies. That is also an element that is missing. People are being blocked from their creative potential. And we will talk about this again. 
creativity in music and arts is stunted. When melanated people do not create, the world is stunted. When money is accepted in exchange for creative potential, growth is stunted. But it does not just harm melanated people. It harms everyone on the planet. The music especially is showing us how dead we are inside. How can you bring creativity back into your life? What are you doing with your time? Can you extract an hour from, say, watching TV to do something creative? Another key point is about sound. Sound has meaning. Sound is mathematical. You need to know, as Seth put it, the knowledge of the nature of sounds, the combination of their patterns, the use of repetition, and a knowledge of the nervous system. A lot of us are walking around fractured because of the sounds we take in. They are disharmonious. But these fractured, broken, erratic frequencies are disturbing everyone. Imagine how they affect you if you don't have melanin. If they are disturbing melanated people, what can they be doing to people without melanin? Okay, I also want to point out, it says at biological levels, the body often produces its own preventative medicines or inoculations by seeking out, for example, new or foreign substances in its environment that are due to nature, science, or technology. It assimilates much properties in small doses, coming down with an illness which, left alone, would soon vanish as the body utilized what it could or socialized a seeming invader. This is exactly what I was talking about in the other session, that your body will pick up cues long before you realize it, and you may become ill based on those cues. But what your body is doing is learning, strengthening you. But most of us jump into a fearful state and do things that block the body from learning and understanding this new information being fed to it. When you are always feeling threatened or in danger, your body reacts to that imagined danger. And if you stay in a state of fear, you overexert that reaction to danger, meaning you're always in a state of fear. Your body never comes back to that state of equilibrium. It says the body is quite well equipped to deal with its physical stance in the physical world and its defense systems are unerring in that respect. Your conscious mind, however, directs your temporal perception and interprets that perception, organizing it into mental patterns 
the body again must depend upon those interpretations. The biological basis of all life is a loving, divine, and cooperative one and presupposes a safe physical stance from which any member of any species feels actively free to seek out its needs and communicate with others of its kind. The body's main purpose is not only to survive, but to maintain a quality of existence at certain levels, and that quality itself promotes health and fulfillment. A definite biologically pertinent fear alerts the body and allows it to react completely and naturally. You might be reading a newspaper headline, for example, as you cross a busy street. Long before you are consciously aware of the circumstances, your body might leap out of the path of an approaching car. The body is doing what it's supposed to do. Though consciously you were not afraid, there was a biologically pertinent fear that was acted upon. If, however, you dwell mentally in a generalized environment of fear, the body is given no clear line of action, allowed no appropriate response. Look at it this way. An animal, not necessarily just a wild one in some native forest, but an ordinary dog or cat reacts in a certain fashion. It is alert to everything in its environment. A cat does not anticipate danger from a pent dog four blocks away, however, nor bother wondering what would happen if that dog were to escape and find the cat's cozy yard. Many people, however, do not pay attention to everything in their environment, but through their beliefs concentrate only upon the ferocious dog four blocks away. I want to add the fictitious ferocious dog. That is, they do not respond to what is physically present or perceivable in either space or time, but instead dwell upon the threats that may or may not exist, ignoring at the same time other pertinent data that are immediately at hand. You know, the data that says you are safe. Just like the commercials I mentioned before, frequently telling you you're sick when presently you are not sick but you take on this meditation these mass meditations and you start to believe you have symptoms that match many of these so-called illnesses that goes with the medicine that was developed left alone the body can defend itself against any disease, but it cannot defend itself appropriately against an exaggerated general fear of disease on the individual's part. It must mirror your own feelings and assessments. Usually now, your entire medical system literally generate as much disease as is cured, for you are everywhere hounded by the symptoms of various diseases and filled with the fear of disease, overwhelmed by what seems to be the body's propensity toward illness, and nowhere is the body's vitality or natural defense system stressed. The kinds of diseases change through historical periods. Some become fashionable, others go out of style. All epidemics, however, are mass statements, both biologically and psychically. They point to mass beliefs 
that have brought about certain physical conditions that are abhorrent at all levels. They go hand in hand with war and represent biological protests. Beliefs that falter despair are biologically destructive. They cause the physical system to shut down. If mass action against appalling social or political conditions is not effective, then other means are taken, and these are often in the guise of epidemics or natural disasters. The blight is wiped out in one way or another. What are we looking at? What are you seeing? How is your body responding? How are your fears guiding your action? Are you always listening to ideas of survival? Remember, coming out that cave or living in the cave, you always have thoughts of how am I going to survive? And this is carried over to present day lifestyles. Always about survival and accumulation. That's why there is such a consumerist economy. It's all about hoarding and surviving. Some people are even hoarding copper pennies. If there's a disaster, what bank are you going to go to with all those pennies? What is the rationale? If there's a horrible disaster, why are you trying to survive? Look at some of the floods that even happened in the United States recently. Basements were wiped out. Places where people would hoard things were flooded. They could not use the things. It is up to us to rise above that survival mode into thrivival. Thriving, living, creating again. Survival is not the prime purpose of the species. Of course, a species must survive to do so, but it will, however, purposely avoid survival if the conditions are not practically favorable to maintain the quality of life or existence that is considered basic. A species that senses a lack of this quality can in one way or another destroy its offspring, not because they could not survive otherwise, but because the quality of that survival would bring about vast suffering, for example. So distorting the nature of life as to almost make a mockery of it. When I read this the first time, I immediately thought that is why white women mainly are feminizing their sons. They're attempting to make a mockery of nature. Is this a part of their survival strategy? To control their men by feminizing them? Some men do it quite well on their own, but there is a definite push toward feminization of boys, which is quite strange because that is heralding extinction. The body's defenses will take care of themselves if they are allowed to and if the psychological air is cleared of the true carriers of disease. The true carriers of disease. All right, I will give you time to pause right here and come back and we will start chapter two, Mass Meditations.
Mass Meditations, Health Plans for Disease, Epidemics of Beliefs, and Effective Mental Inoculations Against Despair. I'm not going to read every paragraph line for line. You can read it for yourself. I'm just going to point out key things that I know will reach you and awaken that part of you that is still hopeful, that seeks out life, that never believed in death. You get what you concentrate on. Your mental images bring about their own fulfillment. These are ancient dictums, but you must understand the ways in which your mass communication systems amplify both the positive and the negative issues. It's mainly the negative issues, so things are definitely off balance. As a civilization, you have undermined your own feelings of safety, yet your beliefs have generated feelings of unworth, having artificially separated yourselves from nature. You do not trust it, but often experience it as an adversary. Your religions granted man a soul while denying any other species. Your bodies then were relegated to nature and your souls to God, who stood immaculately apart from his creations. There's that separation, being separate from nature, being separate from your God, being separate from other people, being separate from your body. Your scientific beliefs tell you that your entire world happened accidentally. Your religions tell you that man is sinful, the body is not to be trusted, the senses can lead you astray. In this maze of beliefs, you have largely lost a sense of your own worth and purpose. A generalized fear and suspicion is generated, and life too often becomes stripped of any heroic qualities. The body cannot react to generalized threats. It is therefore put under constant strain in such circumstances and seek to specify the danger. It is geared to act in your protection. It builds upon strong stresses, therefore, so that on many occasions a specific disease or threat situation is manufactured to rid the body of a tension grown too strong to bear. Many occasions, a specific disease or threat situation is manufactured to rid the body of a tension grown too strong to bear. A meditation, he goes on to say, there's a highly suggestive state of mind in which spiritual, mental, and physical goals are sought. It is impossible to meditate without a goal, for that intent is itself a purpose. Unfortunately, many of your public health programs and commercial statements through the various media provide you with mass meditations of a most deplorable kind. I refer to those in which the specific symptoms of various diseases are given, in which the individual is further told to examine the body with those symptoms in mind. I also refer to those statements that just as unfortunately specify diseases for which the individual 
may experience no symptoms of an observable kind, but is cautioned that these physical events may be happening despite his or her feelings of good health. Here, the generalized fears fostered by religious, scientific, and cultural beliefs are often given as blueprints of disease in which a person can find a specific focus. The individual can say, of course I feel listless or panicky or unsafe since I have such and such a disease. Melanated women, listen. Listen carefully. The breast cancer suggestions associated with self-examination have caused more cancers than any treatments have cured. They involve intense meditation of the body and adverse imagery that it itself affects the bodily cells. Public health announcements about high blood pressure themselves raise the blood pressure of millions of television viewers. So this breast cancer awareness caused women to focus on breast cancer, thereby increasing the cancer rates. But you might say, no, it detected more cancers. Was there any cancer there in the first place? Or do doctors not understand the body? And when these women go in fearful because of what they saw on commercials or billboards, they're now locked into that diagnosis. Your current ideas of preventative medicine, therefore, generate the very kind of fear that causes disease. They all undermine the individual's sense of bodily security and increase stress while offering the body a specific detailed disease plan. But most of all, they operate to increase the individual's sense of alienation from the body and to promote a sense of powerlessness and duality. So that's exactly what these advertisements and commercials do. They give you a detailed disease plan and you take that plan and spit out the disease. It's not the other way around. You have the disease and go get a healing plan. No, they tell you you have the disease, and then you go get the matching medication, which has already been developed before you were told you had the disease. I saw this happen once for myself. There was an ad, not for the drug. It was the ad that seemed loving about taking care of your daughters from a specific disease. But there was no overt advertisement for a drug. A year or so later, the matching drug came out. I was wondering why they were putting out this commercial, this seemingly oh-so-loving commercial about taking care of your daughter's health needs before anything happened to them. And lo and behold, the cure came. It was to get these young girls shots that they didn't need. Even schools were giving these girls shots without their parents' permissions. Girls were being told they had to have this drug. And the even crazier part are the parents who agreed. Your medical commercials are equally disease-promoting. Many meaning to offer you relief through a product, instead actually promote the condition through suggestion, thereby generating a need for the product itself. 
more and more food, drugs, and natural environmental conditions are being added to the list of disease-causing elements. Different reports place dairy products, red meats, coffee, tea, eggs, and fats on the list, period. Generations before you managed to subsist on many such foods, and they were in fact promoted as additive to health. Indeed, man almost seemed to be allergic to his own natural environment. I know you have seen this. All these allergies to wheat, to this, to that. For every list that says that a food is good, there is a list saying that it is dangerous. So you ask, what can you eat? Parents want schools not to serve certain foods because their child is allergic to one thing. By over-sterilizing the children and feeding them your fears of disease and plus what they pick up in the environment makes them weak and more susceptible to disease. It is true that your food contains chemicals it did not in years past. Yet within reason, man is biologically capable of assimilating such materials and using them to his advantage. I've said this before and I need to stress your body is not stupid. It is more than genius. How else can you walk around and not worry about pumping your own heart? Melanated people, we have within us elements that our body took in and used to our advantage. For instance, our ancestors may have eaten food that we shun today, but whatever was in those foods passed to us genetically, immunizing us, inoculating us against adverse effects of those foods. It's up to us now to improve our diets, but we don't have to look down upon our ancestors and see what they actually gave us that makes us stronger because we are still here. When man feels powerless and in a state of generalized fear, he can even turn the most natural earthly ingredients against himself. That's what happens, I think, to a lot of vegans and vegetarians. They're so concentrated upon food all the time that they actually turn food into their enemy because they believe that certain foods can harm them. And if they did touch the food that they imagined to harm them, they do indeed get sick. You can choose a vegetarian lifestyle, but not be at war with food. But in many cases that I've witnessed, it's the opposite. It's the fear of eating other foods instead of the joy of eating vegetables and fruits. If you magnify your limitations, you create your own prisons. If you enjoy those freedoms that are yours now, you automatically increase them. So are you creating your own prison or are you enjoying your liberation? Now let's use the flu as an example of a mass meditation, how mass meditation is used in a harmful manner. Jane was listening to a public service announcement and this is what this segment is in reference to. The official told all listeners 
that the flu season had officially begun. He sternly suggested that the elderly and those with certain diseases make appointments at once for flu shots. The official mentioned, by the way, that there was indeed no direct evidence connecting past flu shots with the occurrence of a rather bizarre disease that some of those inoculated with the flu vaccine happened to come down with. All in all, it was quite an interesting announcement with implications that straddle biology, religion, and economics. The flu season is in a way an example of a psychologically manufactured pattern that can at times bring about a manufactured epidemic. And he goes on to emphasize how you don't question the medical profession because they are the perceived authority. Which brings me back to the conversation about getting inoculated. The other part of the conversation was, have you researched the inoculation? And the person advocating the inoculation said, they already did it for me. I find that fascinating that a black male would allow someone else to tell him a medicine is safe. Tuskegee was not that long ago. Countries like France still talk about testing drugs in Africa. Black people were used for medical experiments. Where is the CDC located? His having the inoculation or anyone is his personal choice. But to not really research is careless. Now you're behaving like a brainless automaton. Did you know that you cannot sue these companies that give inoculations? They are protected. So whatever happens, you have essentially signed a waiver that says it's on you. Once again, the elderly were singled out. It seems obvious that they are more susceptible to diseases. That susceptibility is a medical fact of life. It is a fact, however, without a basic foundation in the truth of man's biological reality. It is a fact brought about through suggestion. The doctors see the bodily results, which are quite definite, and then those results are taken as evidence. Are the elderly more susceptible? Are babies more susceptible? I don't see babies wearing masks, so how are they protected? In a few isolated areas of the world, even today, the old are not disease-ridden, nor do their vital signs weaken. They remain quite healthy until the time of death. Their belief systems, therefore, you must admit, are quite practical, nor are they surrounded by medical professions. Here you have, however, what almost amounts to a social program for illness, the flu season, a mass meditation. It has an economic structure in back of it. The scientific and medical foundations are involved. Not only this, however, but the economic concerns from the largest pharmacies to the tiniest drugstores, the supermarkets, and the corner groceries. All of these elements are involved. You are literally expected to come down with the flu. 
It can serve as an excuse for not facing many kinds of problems. Many people are almost consciously aware of what they are doing. All they have to do is pay attention to the suggestions offered so freely by the society. The temperature does rise. Concern causes the throat to become dry. Dormant viruses, which up to now have done no harm, are activated. The inoculations themselves do little good overall, and they can be potentially dangerous, particularly when they are given to prevent an epidemic which has not, in fact, occurred. They may have specific value, but overall they are detrimental, confusing bodily mechanism, and setting off other biological reactions that might not show up, say, for some time. The flu season interacts with the Christmas season when Christians are told to be merry and wish their fellows a happy return to the natural wonders of childhood and thought at least. They are told to pay homage to God. Christianity has become a tangled sorry tale. Its cohesiveness largely vanished. Such a religion becomes isolated from daily life. Many individuals cannot unify the various areas of their belief and feelings, and at Christmas they partially recognize the vast gulf that exists between their scientific beliefs and their religious beliefs. They find themselves unable to cope with such a mental and spiritual dilemma. A psychic depression often results, one that is deepened by the Christmas music and the commercial displays, by the religious reminders that the species is made in God's image, and by other reminders that the body so given is seemingly incapable of caring for itself and is a natural prey to disease and disaster. So the Christmas season carries a man's hopes in your society, and the flu season mirrors his fears and shows a gulf between the two. What is the suicide rate during the holidays and at the beginning of the year? Science has seen man as an accidental product of an uncaring universe, a creature literally without a center of meaning, where consciousness was the result of a physical mechanism that only happened to come into existence and that had no reality outside of that structure. Science has at least been consistent in that respect. Christianity, however, officially asks children of sorrow to be joyful and sinners to find a childlike purity. It asks them to love a God who one day will destroy the world and who will condemn them to hell if they do not adore him. Many people caught between such conflicting beliefs fall prey to physical ills during the Christmas season particularly. The churches and hospitals are often the largest buildings in any town. You cannot divorce your private value systems from your health and the hospitals often profit from the guilt that religions have instilled in their people. There is a natural religious knowledge with which you are born. It is a biological spirituality translated into verbal terms. It says, life is a gift. I am a unique, worthy being in the natural world. 
which everywhere surrounds me, gives me sustenance and reminds me of the greater source from which I myself and the world both emerge. My body is delightfully suited to its environment and comes to me from the source which shows itself through all the events of the physical world. With that affirmation, we are whole and complete.